How does one tell the story of being both a pediatric oncology nurse and a father? And how do you be present for the suffering of sick children at work and then go home and tend to your own kids? Let's talk all about it with pediatric oncology nurse, podcaster, and author David Metzger, also known as Nurse Papa, right here on episode 347 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is all about you, your personal and professional development, your career, and the system of healthcare writ large. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and very often informative interviews like today's with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being a part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And here's a special request. Some of you have heard this before if you've been listening. I'm asking 100 regular listeners in 2021 into 2022 to pledge $2 a month to support the Nurse Keith show on patreon.com at patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith. It costs a fair amount of money to produce the show and keep us going. And like Edward from the Bay Area, Marie from Tennessee and Jocelyn from New York, you can pledge $2 a month or more and get some cool prizes and premiums in return. So head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith to sign up. And I really appreciate considering doing so. And you can also support the show by referring yourself or others to Nurse Keith Coaching for Holistic Career Coaching. And if you mention Nurse Papa or this episode or David Metzger, you can get 15% off your first coaching package. So hit me up and let's have a complimentary consult. The show notes for this episode will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 347. And we are here as stated above with David Metzger, also known popularly as Nurse Papa. And we want to make him even more popular through him being on this show and promoting his book, his podcast, and all the great work he does. So David, the first question I want to ask you is, how did you choose to become a pediatric oncology nurse? What was the path to get there? Hey, Keith. Thanks so much for having me on your show. And gosh, what an inspiring introduction. I'm, I am definitely going to give money to your Patreon after hearing that. Thank and, you. Um, that is a great question. Um, you know, I don't know if, um, if I really found nursing or pediatric oncology. I think it found me. Hmm. I didn't actually know I wanted to be a nurse. Um, and it really was just a stab in, in the dark to find something that I cared about doing. Um, you know, before I went to nursing, I was a sculptor. I was a painter. And, you know, I had really no idea what nursing was, you know, other than, you know, what you see on TV or, um, you know, what is in popular, popular culture. But I just um, applied to a program and it was actually one of those programs where you have to pick what you want to be before you actually are, which really, really understood as being an effective way of, of, you know, developing a passion for something. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you had to choose a nursing specialty before starting the program. It's very unusual. Yeah. Well, it was, it's, you know, for the school's organization rather than the, you know, the students welfare, I really think. I would think so. so I decided to be a, an adult, acute adult care, which was the focus of that, that I, you know, decided to pick. It seemed to be a good place to start, but fortunately, um, you know, in school, we had opportunity to work with all types of populations 
So I remember the first day that I worked on the pediatric ward, um, I had no idea what I was doing and I was standing in the hall. And as often happened when you're a nurse, I was tapped on the shoulder by um, a nurse running the other direction who shouted orders in, you know, in my direction saying, can you take care of this child? Oh my gosh. So I went into this little, yeah, yeah. I went into this little girl's room and she, um, she was standing, you know, half naked in her crib and just a, a diaper. And she had this disease called Steven Johnson's, you know, which I'm sure you're, you are familiar with. And yes. it is a auto, autoimmune disease, which, you know, leaves the patient with, you know, many, many really painful um, sores on their body. And this child was just screaming her head off. And I had no idea what to do with her. You know, I had no experience with kids. So I just picked her up and I started singing a song to her that I had been working on in my head. And, you know, this girl first stopped crying and then she put her thumb in her mouth. And, you know, I realized in that moment that she wasn't in so much pain as she was afraid. Yes. And I really had this realization that I was meant to be not only a nurse, but a pediatric nurse. And that actually required that I drop out of my program and just go for it. But yeah, I, I had no problem doing it. it you know, when, when the world calls you, it's such a rare event that you really have this clarifying moment that you understand what you're supposed to be doing. You, you got to follow it. You got to follow that, that message. Great point. And, you know, it's interesting. First, I want to say you and I need to talk more because I was an art student before I was a nurse. My first sojourn into college was art school and I did printmaking mostly, but some sculpture and painting. So we need to talk. Wow. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, you know, it's really interesting how you were in a program that made you choose something. So you ended up, you know, you were doing adult, but you ended up in PD by happenstance. And I bet you weren't a parent yet when this event happened, right? Absolutely not. And so <laughs> did you have experience with children at this point in your life, nephews or nieces or anything? It was nominal. I saw them on the street. I saw my niece every, you know, every six months. Um, I didn't have any expertise on what makes kids tick. Well, you saw kids on the street. That was enough. It was like, oh yeah, yeah they're, little, they're little people. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So so this experience with this child showed you that, oh, she needs, she needs my presence. Yes. And what I've gathered from your very wonderful podcast, Nurse Papa, and your new book, Nurse Papa, which we'll talk about some more um, in a little bit and where people can obtain said book, I, I really see how it is all really about presence and I've read some of the chapters with stories of children, some of whom were pediatric patients who were in their early 20s. Like there was a 20-year-old man or a 21-year-old man who you wrote about whose name escapes me. I'm sure Muhammad. there's pseudonyms anyway. Mohammed. Actually, um, it's his real name. You know, I, oh. I did use some real names in the book when, um, when either the patient was deceased or gave me permission to do so. I see. Yeah. So, you know, you wrote about little, little kids. And you wrote about, you know, older pediatric patients in their early twenties. And a lot of what you write about is how you were present with them. And then you also talk about going home and on your podcast, you talk about this too, and you talk about parenting. So the nurse Papa podcast is about, 
your journey as a parent and as a nurse. And you you make a very good point that they're they're so intertwined. You can't just turn one off when you go to work and you can't turn the other off when you go <laughs> go to write or do your podcast. So what is it like for you as a nurse and father, especially a nurse who works with children with cancer, to walk in those two worlds? What's your experience like? I mean, sometimes I wish I could turn it off, but like you said, yeah. we are who we are and the roles who, the roles that we choose are the roles that we become. Um, mm. You know, I am a caregiver at home. I take care of my kids along with my wife. And I also do the same, you know, with kids, you know, in the hospital. And before I wrote this book, I wasn't a dad. And what really one big catalyst to write this book was my experience of, you know, how I changed as a caregiver once I became a father. You know, before I was a, a parent, I had such incredible sympathy for these kids and especially their parents. I mean, it just seems so hard to watch somebody go through this. Yes. But I think that's kind of where it stopped. But once I was a parent and I could put myself in the shoes of, a, of another parent who was watching their child suffer, even though my kids don't have cancer, they still have pain and pain is relative. I began to real, really have empathy for these parents and it really changed the way I interacted with them. I mean, for sure, when I enter the room of a new patient, I, it's not very long before I tell that parent about my kids because I want them to know that I'm a dad. I'm gonna take care of their kids just like I would my kids. There's no mm -hmm. separation and it's basically my calling card. And it doesn't mean that you can't be an amazing pediatric nurse when you're not a parent yourself. Right. For me, at least, it added a real power. It really gave me um, the ability to, to get a parent to trust me in a way that they might not otherwise. Yes. And I'm sure you have great colleagues who don't have kids, some of whom may have worked in PD for decades. But for you, it's a leverage point with parents and children, because it helps you, you have certain skills and knowledge and experience to bring to how you deal with children because yeah. you have children of your own. And, you know, in terms of the, the book, let's talk about the book, Nurse Papa. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. And it tells just incredible stories and shares a lot of your own personal journey. What was the real origin and what's the intention of the book? What do you want people to, to take home from this book? So at first, and I want to say that intention is, a, is something that's always changing. You know, I, I may have started thinking I was writing the book for one reason, and that may have been true, and it remains true, but it's an evolving process for me. So at first, I just wanted to tell these stories. You know, I spend so much time in these rarefied, rarefied spaces where these children and their families are just going through it. They're mm. just, you know, fighting a disease, they're living their lives, but it's just so much beauty, so much pain. And I felt like it was important that people outside of this world got to hear a bit about it. Because I think that there's so much to learn from these families and these kids, and it's not all bad things. You know, even when a child is you know, fighting a disease, they're still living, they're still bumping into things, they're still, you know, figuring out who they are, and they're still growing up. And these parents too are also just learning how to be parents, even if they're, you know, quite skilled at it already. And I, I think that Nurse Papa is a real dive into what it means to be a parent and what it means to be a child. But, you know, something really occurred to me recently, and 
I have to say it's a little bit embarrassing because it's not something I've thought of um, much until now. You know, when you're a new nurse, you really have the big feels, right? I mean, you're taking care of these patients and you become close to them. And, you know, in their journey of finding health, they either find it or they die, but you're Mm -hmm. right there with them the whole time. And you go home, you're thinking about them and you want, you just want them to be okay. And I, for, I really went through that as a new nurse. I had a, a lot of trouble separating myself from the fate of these parent of these parents and these kids. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's part of what makes you motivated to be a good caregiver. But, you know, 14 years in, I noticed that that wasn't really where I was at. And I had no judgment about that. But, mm-hmm. you know, it just wasn't the same. I didn't, I wasn't moved in the same way when a patient died. I wasn't moved in the same way, you know, even in their victories. And much like being a parent, when you kind of relive your experiences through your kids, I discovered that writing this book might be a way for me to kind of revisit the way I feel about all these things that, you know, I witness every day for me to Mm. kind of reflect upon how people react to the book and how it affects their lives. And for me, it feels a little bit selfish that, um, that that's the process for me, but I, I also hope that it can mean a lot to other people as well. Well, it means a lot to me. And, um, I, I wouldn't cast dispersions on your intention because a book can be a healing process for the writer. Um, I've had some writers on the show like Michelle Harper, an ER physician from Philadelphia who wrote a memoir called The Beauty and Breaking. And it's, it's a New York Times bestseller. And it, obviously she wrote it for her own healing of her relationships, of her traumatic, abusive childhood, um, of her work in the ER. So, you know, she wrote it for her own healing, but it's incredibly healing for other people. And it's been very healing for me. And your book is very similar. So yours is not a memoir per se, but it has that feeling of a memoir. So your intended audience could be, I'm sure it's nurses, parents, anyone who might be touched by the subject, right? Yeah. I mean, I hope it's anybody who has a heartbeat. Yeah, I would think so. (laughs) It definitely includes you know, those in the healthcare industry, you know, who are always grappling with how to relate to their patients and how that trauma, because let's be honest, when you see this trauma, it affects how you navigate the world, um, you know, how yeah. they can be better people through that trauma. And just anybody who really cares about hearing about people's lives. I really yeah. made an effort to be very honest about what I saw and also my own fallibility as a parent and a nurse. Yeah. And you, and you, you've mentioned to me in the run up to this interview, the notion of storytelling as a means of catharsis and growth. And do you mean that for the writer and the audience? That's what I, that's how I construed that statement. Absolutely. I think that when you write a book, like I did, it hopefully becomes a dialogue you know, not just in that you hear from people who love the book, which I love. I love hearing from people who love the book, but a dialogue that happens, you know, within our own minds in which we can truly relate to the person who wrote it. And if the book is being truthful, I think that's really possible. And just 
alter our lives based on, on what we learn. You know, it doesn't have to be a major change, but maybe just a different reflection on how you would do something different or what, what is really important to you. Absolutely. And you, you consider this book meditations on nursing and parenthood basically, right? Yeah. So, so what, how would you say that that has manifested? What is, what does that mean to you as you call it 16 meditations on parenthood from a pediatric oncology nurse to be exact? Yeah. What does that mean for you? I mean, Keith, there's lots of books out there about parenting and many of them take a very top-down, heavy-handed approach on how you be a best parent and how yeah. you raise your kids. And I have read a lot of those books and I have not been moved by them. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, there's been some practical advice that I've taken home, but I don't think that you can teach somebody how to be a parent. It requires lots of failure, lots of experience, and all those lessons are best learned by doing it yourself. And, you know, books can guide you there. So I, I come very clean at the beginning of the book that I'm not going to, this is not the book for you if that's what you're looking for. No. But if you do want to think differently, a little bit deeper, in a little different way about your role as a parent or your role as a caregiver, then I think Nurse Papa is the book for you because it really offers a platform to see things in a different way, in a way that you haven't seen them before. I hope it does. So you tell this story and you actually read the chapter on an episode of your podcast, which you do periodically about washing a dead child's body and what that experience is like. And that, <sighs> that passage is just like, you know, I, it, it just, as a parent myself, it really, it touched something really deep inside me. Um, my son is 38 alive and very healthy, but still there's, there, there was something very poignant, incredibly, there's so much gravitas to that story. And speaking of stories, is there a passage from the book you'd like to read to us? Because I would love people to hear you reading because that's what really moved me last night when I heard that episode and heard you reading from the book. Yeah, I would love to. And I've been thinking about what passage to read and it's difficult sure. because there are so many parts of the book that are dear to me, but a lot of them require some larger context. But this is from a chapter called Magical Thinking. It works until it doesn't. And it's about a phenomena that I think most of your listeners, especially the, the caregivers, will really understand. I mean, we see so much doctors, nurses, um, and even as a parent, I see so much that I really want to unsee and I want to imagine it away. And this absolutely works until it doesn't. And, you know, I think it's just a process that we can respect and be okay with, but we should acknowledge that, you know, at some point you just have to deal with reality and, and move on. So this yes. is the end, of, the end of that chapter. Go for it. Eventually, the bleakest truth that we and those who we love may suffer and will die proves unavoidable despite our best efforts to evade it. But where magical thinking ends, something else begins. Parents who lose a child find a way to continue on, even as they grieve over the body of their dead child. Although it may take hours, days even, the rhythms of our most ancient clocks, our bodies, take over and lead us away from the inertia of sitting with our dead. 
One nurse, Amy, told me, the person has left and you are devastated. But the fact that the world doesn't stop is the one thing that helps you move on. I think the body helps too. Eventually, you'll be thirsty again. You'll need water. In these rooms where everyone is very, very sad, someone eventually will say, I'll be right back, or I have to pee, or I'm really hungry. Your body does not let you completely stop, and the world certainly doesn't either. Hmm. Yeah, the world doesn't stop, does it? And you're so right. That's a really, really beautiful way to put it. The, 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 what did you say? The, the basic rhythms of our bodies reassert themselves. How did you say that? I said the rhythms of our most ancient clocks, our bodies, take over and lead us away from the inertia of sitting with our dead. Right. Someone, imagine if you lose a child and you have other children, which many people have had that experience. Your other children are still going to need their diapers changed. They're still going to need to be fed and played with and put to sleep and read to. And those can feel like things that interrupt our grief. Sometimes we can feel like, I just need to sit with this, but life also does continue to go on, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think the very reality that we hope to avoid is what brings us back. And it, it is unavoidable. And, mm. you know, it's, it's so interesting to me because, and it, it's something I've seen for many years, when a child dies, their parents, you know, often sit by their bedside for many, many hours, sometimes even, you know, a couple of shifts in a row. And it's just a process that each of them has to go through. Some of them, it's quiet and it's soulful. Other times there's so much anger and there's so much pain and it's just out there, but it just has to go where it's going to go. And, you know, as caregivers who are used to it, we, uh, we allow it to happen. And we certainly keep on treating these, these parents and, you know, this child as our patient, you know, they're still under our care. They are. They are. And I love at the beginning of each chapter, you have a quote from a different pediatric oncology nurse and um, chapter, oh, there's no number on it, but um, leaving home, morning starts with family. There's a quote from Kate, a pediatric oncology nurse and mother. She says, you have a different understanding when you have your own kids. You look at parents and you understand their fear, their anger, their angst, their depression, their caregiver fatigue. There's this understanding that I may not be in your situation, but I see you and I get it in a way that I didn't get before. I, I love that. And that yeah. does speak to the nurse's experience of wanting to connect, right? Yeah, that, that really summed it up for me too. And yeah. you know, one really important thing for this book was I have not been in every room in the hospital. I have not taken care of every patient. And it was really important to me to get a different point of view, to help me round out the book and really give different perspectives. So for this book, I interviewed, you know, 30 to 40 people, caregivers, nurses, doctors, parents who I'd become close to and kept in contact with, you know, most of whom had a deceased child, and even a few patients who felt ready to share their experience. And I think it really added, you know, a different element to the book because it's, like you said, it's it feels like a memoir, but it's not necessarily a memoir because you're hearing from so many different people constantly. You are, you are for sure. And when we come back from the break, David, I want to talk more about the book and then about the podcast and about your work and your family and um, where you want to go from here. Does that sound, sound good? That sounds excellent. Awesome. So please hang in there with us. We will be back very shortly 
with with the second half of episode 347 of The Nurse Keith Show. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other awesome listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support The Nurse Keith Show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith to read all about it. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Nurse Keith. And if you know someone who could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you'll receive credit for an hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit, so you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits. What an incredible deal. And please head over to nursekeith.com and sign up for my newsletter, which comes out regularly and brings you supportive messages, updates from my blog and my podcast, resources, and all sorts of other stuff. Remember, nursekeith.com, sign up for that newsletter, and you'll also get a free download from me as my gift to you. Anyway, those are my sincere asks today. So now, Let's dig back into today's topic without further ado. All right. Welcome back to the second half of the episode. Remember, the show notes are located at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 347. That's where you can learn all about Nurse Papa slash David Metzger. That's his alter ego. And you can learn where to check him out online, buy the book and support him and his podcast. Actually, you can go to Nurse Papa the Book right now while you're listening. That's nursepapathebook.com. Okay, so David, first question for you at this point is, you've been an oncology nurse, you wrote the book, you have the podcast, you, you go to work and you deal with sick children, sometimes dying children, sometimes, well, often grieving parents and grieving children too, who are grieving their own passage and preemptively, and you've washed the bodies of the dead. And when you go home, (laughs) what do you tell your children about your work and what questions do they ask you about your work or life and death in general? Um, My kids ask lots of questions. They're not often the questions that I want them to ask, but that's the real hard part about having kids is that they're just going to be who they're going to be. Um, you know, my kids often ask about death. They're just at that age right now where they're starting to become aware that and life- how old are they? My son is five and my daughter is seven. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but they're no, just starting to become aware of that. Yeah. They're just becoming aware of, you know, the fact that things don't live forever. It's, you know, whatever it is, if it's a pet that dies or, you know, a grandparent that is sick. Um, and these are things that you can't avoid and I'd rather not avoid them. And, you know, I did write a whole chapter about this in the book that you might not have gotten to. And I'm a pretty straight shooter with my kids. I let mm-hmm. them ask the questions and I will, I will answer them appropriately. I don't like to confuse them about really big things like this. But, you know, it, it's, a, it's a slippery slope. And there's some things where I think my kids want them 
they want to be lied to. Like, is there a tooth fairy? And I can tell by the twinkle in my daughter's eye that she really wants there to be a tooth fairy. So I let it happen. And I, I play that game with her, a game that we both know is a facade. Yes. And I think you really need to, as a parent, you are on a tightrope with your kids constantly trying to figure out which way you're supposed to go and just mm-hmm. hoping you're not going to fall down. And sometimes you will. <laughs> yeah, good point. There's one point in the book where your daughter says something like, um, Daddy, let's talk about all the different ways you can die. And one way is that you can fall out of the sky like the La, the La Bamba Man. The Bamba Man, She was yeah. talking about um, the, the man who sang that song, La Bamba. Yeah, Richie Valens. Richie Valens. And, and he died in a plane crash? He no, sure did. He, yeah. He died in a plane right. crash with a big bopper. That's was right. A, That's it right. It was a radio personality back in the day. Yeah, and your daughter brought up this subject that you can die like the Bomba Man, she called him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought that was really sweet. And she was like, yeah, this guy sings this happy song, which actually isn't completely happy, as you explain. It has melancholiness to it. And you also explained to her, you know, well, that's one way to die, right? You can fall out of the sky, mm-hmm. right? And do they ever ask you, do your children ask, like, if you saw a dead child that day? Like, do they go there? No, they don't go there. But they have lots okay. of curiosity about what I do and, you know, what it means to be a sick kid. So mm-hmm. I, I tell them about it. And I, I really like telling my kids about my day because it's really cathartic. You know, it, it kind of brings out the pain from the situation because, you know, as we alluded to earlier it's sometimes really hard to make that transition from hospital to home. And ironically enough, I sometimes feel like the best person I can be at work. I mean, I'm a professional. I am obligated to control my temper, (laughs) which Mm, is not an obligation I have at home. And, you know, sometimes I go home and I feel like I am just my worst person for the people who mean the most to me. And, you know, I understand that's, that's not a very sympathetic position to admit to. But it's very honest. And I think a lot of people, if they were to tell the truth, they would admit that they're sometimes the worst for the people who mean the most. And yeah, when my child brings her interest and her presence into you know, what I do at work, it really touches me and it really brings it down a level and it allows me to talk about it in a way that it's almost like I have a pediatric therapist at home. Hmm. That's that you have a pediatric therapist. Yeah, she's right. a therapist, but she just happens to be seven. <laughs> What's her name again? Her name is Sivica. And is it her voice that we hear on the little intro to Nurse yeah, Papa? A gorgeous little voice. Really wonderful little voice. And she'll marvel at how high-pitched it is when she's older. <laughs> My son does the same when he hears his voice from years ago on it. We have cassette tapes of him talking. I know, I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's this one scene in the book where you come home from work, they're in the tub, and you talk about how most of the water ends up on the floor and on you, right? Mm, yep. And that your kid's natural habitat or natural way of being in their habitat is being naked. And you yell at her to not, um, to not splash her brother, um, but she ignores you anyway. 
And by the time you turn around, she's out of the tub and leaving wet footprints down the hallway. And you're like, here, you, you note your impatience in your ire. And then you're like, all right, is this really worth it? Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, one thing I've always thought is that you are perfectly allowed to have whatever reaction to your current situation as that, that comes to you. But how we react to our reaction is really important. And that, in that particular chapter, I talk about how, as you alluded to, I, we often bathe the, the bodies of the dead children we take care yes. of. And then I hop on my bike, take the train home, sweaty and pissed off and tired. And then I have to bathe my own kids. And it's a real mind twister trying to navigate that situation. And sometimes you just need to get splashed in the face to get knocked back into parenthood. <laughs> I can... I can only imagine actually <laughs> I've done hospice, but I've not done, I've not done what you do. And yeah, I, that's such I, great work though. I, but I can't, I can't imagine doing what you do. Like the, 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 I don't know, even know what word to use the, the paradox of one going from one to the next, you know, yeah. bathing a dead child's body and then going home to give your child a bath. I mean, yeah, that would make, that would make anyone's heart and mind just kind of, twist up a little bit and you need to figure out how to be present. Right. And yeah. there's, there's some trauma involved in working with the dying, I'm sure. And I'm curious, you talked about, you know, responding to your response and I'm curious how either colleagues and or parents have responded to your book and your podcast. Like what, what do you hear from people? What's, What's the response from people and, and do they have things to say that surprise you or do they have things to say that you expect? Um, that's a great question. I was really apprehensive about the response to the book because like I said yeah. before, so many other viewpoints and stories and feelings, there's some big feels in this book are shared with you know thousands of people. And I didn't know what to expect, but fortunately it has been a really amazing experience. The my coworkers who have contributed to the book and read it have really loved it. I think they loved hearing their voices kind of expanded into a kind of wider subject because it's such an insular experience being a nurse in a room with this patient and their parents. But, you know, with the book, I really tried to give it a greater context and not, not like that work is not important when you're just doing it. Cause that's the most important work doing something that nobody's seeing that's the best thing, right? Because you are just being yourself and you're not expecting anybody to, you know, give you a pat on the back because you're just being a good person. But having other people see that, I think it's really great for the people who do it. And I want to showcase that. And of the people um, who are parents who have read the book, I think they've also really enjoyed hearing their, you know, their life echoed. Mm -hmm. And for parents who don't have this experience of having a child who is sick, you know, people have really gotten a lot out of the book, a lot out of the book. And I'm so grateful for that because that's the, that's the reason why I, why, why I embarked on this entire project. It has not been for money. I am many, many hours in the red as far as my personal time, mm -hmm. but I just want to connect with people and I just want people to appreciate the human experience. Well, the human experience is really what your book and your podcast, which work synergistically together or symbiotically, whatever word you want to use. I like both of them. 
yeah, <laughs> let's go with both. Um, let's go hyperbolic. Let's just go for it. <laughs> so you're a great writer. You're a great podcaster. And I have no doubt you're a superlative nurse and, and a great dad too. And, and husband, let's just go for everything. Right. I think we can just end the show on that note. <laughs> yeah. Mic drop. Yeah. So, you know, go tell your wife, you're great at everything. Yeah. So right. there's, it is really all about connection and people and feeling and and this this notion of integrating work and life in whatever way you can and the parallels between the two and also the conundrums that come up in terms of what we just talked about like with the bath scenario so I hear your mission, right? You want to reach people. You want to touch people. You want them to see themselves echoed in that. Where else do you feel like you, David Metzger, would like to go with this platform you've created for yourself? Because you could do anything. So is there, are there a few things on your list that you would like to do in terms of reaching more people? Yeah, I mean... Don't tell my wife this, and I don't think she listens to your show, so there should be no <laughs> risk of that. But sorry, you have lots of listeners. It's just not her. Um, I would love to write another book. Um, I'm not quite there yet, and it's outlined, but there's no words put down to page. So that's my next goal, and we'll see when and where that happens. I kind of need to give my family a break because it's been a real, in some ways, narcissistic process because I've spent a lot of time, you know, thinking about what I want to do while I've been trying to be a father and a husband as well. So that's your, your wife is Kavina, right? My wife is Kavina. Yeah. Um, okay. So everyone out there, you've heard it here first. He wants to write another book. Do not tell Kavina. Okay. All Please right. don't. So, so what's, what's next after that? Um, I'd like to continue with the podcast because it really allows me to do something which I love, which is hear my own voice and, you know, write some really interesting things about life. And eventually I'd love to, take that out to the people. I want to disseminate these ideas in a way that people can hear in a live format. And I don't know how that actually is going to happen or um, what direction that will take me. Well, podcasts do go on tour. I never have, but some do go on tour. And what I picture right now, actually, I picture that the nurse Papa RV, like a big RV with a wrap around it with nurse mm -hmm. Papa and the the logo your I think your daughter made of you and her, right? Yep. And um, you could do live podcasting, you know, from pediatric wards and hospitals and daycare centers around the country, you know, and you know you could call into Oprah and you know talk about it. And I think you know I think we've got an idea here. So I think going on tour with the whole family would probably be the most efficacious. So yeah, I mean, don't I tell Kavina can... that either. Yeah, mm -hmm. I can definitely appreciate the van life. In fact, it's Keith, I don't know how you knew, but it is my dream to live in a small vehicle. But yeah, nothing my uh, wife is interested in okay, at the don't, moment. Don't tell Kavina. Okay. She doesn't know. Yeah, good. <laughs> That's really good. So before we go, which I actually don't want to do, but we do have to go, um, I'd like you to read the poem that, that prefaces the book. It, it's right before the author's note, um, before the prologue. So would you be willing to read the note uh, the poem, A Letter to My Baby? You know I would. Thank you. A Letter to My Baby. Baby, when you finally arrive here, you may find a world more dusty and dangerous 
than offered by your former, more cushy quarters. Your caretakers, too, these parents, may appear less seaworthy than you would prefer for the voyage of raising a child. But nobody else showed up to claim you. So there you have it. Rest assured, kiddo, despite all their baggage and wrinkles, these two people will float right alongside you under the power of your wind and the pool of your tides. They will show you what they know of this world, how to laugh, how to cry, and to love, how to give, how to take, and to hope. And, just maybe, you will listen to some of it. I love that. And you just maybe may listen to some of it. And I love these two people will float right alongside you under the power of your wind and the pull of your tides. And I love that because it's putting the the impetus on the child, like the child is going to be the, the wind and the tide, not the parent. And yeah. it's, that goes back to that notion of like, you borrow a child for a while, right? I, I like that concept. And did you write this before you had a child or after? No, I certainly had kids. You had kids. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that they, shows. they don't listen to me either. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes. My son listens to me sometimes too. He's 38, so he doesn't have to listen anymore. <laughs> you were a lot younger than me when you had kids, it sounds like. Yeah, I was. Um, but David, one last question. Your your outlook and your your the way you present information and your, your very calm, um, loving, compassionate presence, for me, it, it really has this this very, forgive me, but this very Buddhist type of um, acceptance of what's in front of you. Is there a philosophy or anything that, that informs how you approach your life and work? I'm just curious as, a, as another man, as a person, I'm curious. No, it's a great question. Um, I am very inspired by Buddhist teachings. And I spend a lot of time when I had more time, um, you know, going to... Um, going away to study Buddhism with, you know, lamas who I appreciated, but um, yeah, I don't know where I am right now. I'm, I'm really just trying to be a good person and trying to be happy. And I think one thing that at least I've learned really recently is that you can't be happy from your relationship with other people. Ultimately, ultimately it's, you're, you're on your own. I mean, we, we, we of course give each other joy by our conversations and our interactions, but if you want to truly find happiness, you have to find it inside. You can't wait for somebody else to do it. And for me, that means just trying to be a good person because it feels so good to give. It's so easy. And then once you start giving and you keep giving, it just gets better and better. And of course, like, you know, a consequence of that is that you sometimes end up with an empty tank, mm -hmm. but then you do what you do need to fill it back up. And then you just go back in the world and give again. Well said. And I knew you had some Buddhist teachings in your background there, like I do. And I think you and I both have a very strong inner Jewish mother. I oh, yes. Say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So <laughs> we need, we need to talk some more. We're both Jubus, um, it sounds like. Jubus, yeah. <laughs> we need to talk over a cup of coffee, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> so David Metzger, Nurse Papa, thank you so much. And 
People can find you at nursepapathebook.com and then Instagram, your nurse papa the book, and then Twitter, your nurse papa. And then anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find nurse papa the podcast. So it's on Apple, it's on, you know, all the different apps. So people can find you there as well, right? That's right. And you can find my book, Nurse Papa, on Amazon. We will have a link in the show notes to Amazon so someone can go and buy the book directly from there. Please purchase the book, purchase it for somebody. The holidays are coming up. Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Christmas, you know what to do. Nurse Papa, the book. So David Metzger, thank you so much. This has been such a joy. And don't tell Kavina, but we'll have you on when the new book comes out. Absolutely. In about 10 years from now. All right. We'll have you back sooner than that, though. (laughs) Thanks, Keith. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this really wonderful episode of the Nurse Keith Show. Remember, nursekeith.com forward slash episode 347. This is not a subliminal message. Support David and buy the book and listen to the podcast and give him some likes and reviews on Apple Podcasts. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from this episode like I do. And if you need personalized holistic career coaching to elevate your career, look no further than nursekeith.com. Mention Nurse Papa. You can get 15% off your first coaching package. And remember, if you want to give $2 a month to Patreon to support Nurse Keith, that's less than the cost of a cup of coffee bought for me per month. I'd love if you would do $2 a month for a year, 24 bucks for the year. That would be really awesome. But you can also continue listening for free because I love doing this and I love that you're out there listening. The Nurse Keith Show is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com, a very large and fast-growing collection of authoritative, high-quality podcasts about health, healthcare, wellness, etc. We're going to get the Nurse Papa podcast on there in due course. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and Mark Cappy Spieson is our stalwart social media ringmaster. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico and the inimitable Nurse Papa, also known as David Metzger, bidding you adieu from Oakland, California, where it has stopped raining. Oakland. Yay. Wonderful. Well, David, thank you so much. Thanks to everyone listening. And we will catch you on the proverbial flip side. 